we'll assume that this is the low point of this particular service. Good morning. Good to see all of you today. Good to see all of you at home. A couple of announcements for you before we get underway with our worship service. Uh, first off, next Sunday is Pentecost. I know that you've got your Pentecost calendars at home that have been counting down the days. I know your children will be gathering with you for Pentecost to open their Pentecost gifts. Uh, and then we, of course, have one particular tradition in the church on Pentecost Sunday. What is it? Wear red. You remember. I'm sure all of you were decked out in red at home last Pentecost uh, when you watched online. I trust all of you to be liturgically appropriate even when you're unsupervised. But we will wear red next Sunday, and then we will have a little bit of fellowship time afterwards. I think we'll have some refreshments uh, out in the garden, so that'll be happening uh, next week. If you're curious about changes to the safety and health protocols for this particular worship service, the session meets on Thursday. They make all those decisions, and so any changes will be made following next Thursday and communicated in the First Focus email and on the church's Facebook page. Um, and also for those of you who don't have internet by carrier pigeon. So please be attentive to that. And then finally, we have a congregational meeting following this service where we will elect our new slate of elders and trustees. And also we will, re we will revise uh, my terms of call uh, related to my new position at University of the Ozarks. So we'll be diminishing my terms of call here so I know everybody likes to save money. It's like having a fill coupon. So I'm sure you'll vote for that uh, at the end of the service. So with all that in mind, let's prepare our hearts for the worship of Almighty God. Our call to worship 
comes this morning from Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you this day with awe and wonder and praise. We ask that this time of worship in this sacred space would fill and renew your people, that your Holy Spirit would be present here among us, within us, and moving out from us. It is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Please be, remain seated for our first hymn, Arise, Your Light is Come. We come with confession on our hearts, and we do not do that because God does not know what we have done until we confess it. Of course, God knows. We do it because we need to be reset. We confess for ourselves so that we can begin again. And so now I ask you to join me. We are going to confess together and then have a time of silence and then finish our prayer together. Let us confess before God and before one another. Holy God, today we pray for your grace and mercy in our lives. We have sinned against you and against one another. 
Too often we fail to build our lives around you and the teachings of your Son. We behave selfishly, acquire greedily, and worship half-heartedly. We offer these particular confessions to you in silence. We are in need of transformation. We pray that your spirit would indwell us this day, that our faith would grow, and we would gain the courage to serve you boldly in this world. We pray in the name of the one who was and is and is to come. Amen. I proclaim to you the good news of Jesus Christ, for Christ himself said, I did not come for those who are healthy. I came for the sick. I came for the sinner. Jesus Christ came into this world for you and for me. It is his grace in your life that forgives you of your sin and that now calls you to be a new creation. Know that your sin is forgiven and be at peace. Amen. Let's sing to God's glory. We are uh, continuing our sermon series about the uh, purpose of the church, entitled To What End? And today we're considering the ways in which the church uh, is structured in order to do the work of social righteousness, which is a fairly nebulous idea. So we'll see if we can get a better handle on it as we talk about things this morning. And to do that, we're going to listen to two passages. The first comes from the Sermon on the Mount and the Gospel according to Matthew. And then the second comes from Deuteronomy. So let's listen now for God's word to us this morning. First from Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now our second reading from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Again, I invite you to listen for God's word to us today. Every seventh year you shall grant a remission of, de of debts. And this is the manner of the remission. Every creditor shall remit the claim that is held against a neighbor not exacting it from a neighbor who is a member of the community, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner you may exact it, 
but you must remit your claim on whatever any member of your community owes you. There will, however, be no one in need among you, because the Lord is sure to bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a possession to occupy. If only you will obey the Lord your God by diligently observing this entire commandment that I commanded you today. When the Lord your God has blessed you as he promised you, you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. You will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand willingly, lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Your neighbor might cry to the Lord against you, and you would incur guilt. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You are deeply known. You are deeply known. Your comings and goings are known. Your desires, your wants, your interests are known. Your beliefs, your preferences, your relationships are deeply, deeply known. You are known by Google. It's a little bit funny. I mean, I knew people would laugh when I said that. But on the other hand, it's not really funny because everything I said is true. Google knows almost everything about you. They know everywhere you have been as long as you have had your phone with you. They know every single internet search you have ever made, whether you deleted your search history or not. They know all the contacts in your telephone. There was a journalist who was researching all the things that Google knows about us, and you can ask them to provide all the information they have on you, and so he did that. And he went to print out the document that they sent him, and it was three million pages long. Indeed, we are deeply known. And we might wonder about this. What is Google's interest in the minutiae of our lives, our age, our race, our gender, our friends, our preferences, our hobbies? What is their interest in us? Is it that they may craft and curate a better world for us to enjoy? Is it that they simply want to know who we are? We know it's not those things. What is their interest in us? It's financial. The data that Google has on us, 
the knowledge that they have on each and every one of us is worth a tremendous amount of money. Of money. All those things we have thought, all those things we have thought, I'm going to look that up. I want to read about that. I want to know more about that. All the places we have been, all of those things when added together are worth money. And so we, you and I, are reduced, diminished. All the things that make us us don't exist for the sake of ourselves. They exist in order to be turned into a commodity. This should not surprise us. It's not as if Google invented this. They just took it to the next logical step. In almost every encounter we have with any institution in our society, we are seen first and foremost as a commodity. When you go into a restaurant, how do they refer to you? When they talk about you, do they say, those four, over there, go serve them? No, what, what's our name when we're at a restaurant? We are table six. When we go into a business, we're a customer. In corporate parlance, we're a consumer. It's gotten to the point where when a church hires a stewardship firm to come in to help them raise more money, the members of that congregation are reduced to one phrase. Do you know what it is? Giving units. In almost sing every single solitary relationship that we have outside of our homes, our family, and our friends, we are first and foremost seen as a wallet something that can be monetized, bought, and sold to. Now, we could stand here and we could wring our hands about the state of the world around us, and how did it ever come to this? Or we can recognize that this has been endemic in human society ever since the very beginning. If you go back and you start reading through the very oldest parts of the Old Testament, which I did for you this morning when I pulled from Deuteronomy. If you go back and you start reading through those, what do you find? Anybody ever tried to do the Bible in a year? Did you make it through Leviticus? It's very difficult. Why? Because there's rule after rule after rule. And we understand that almost every rule and every command and everything that is said, do this, exists for a reason. Nobody makes rules against things that no one is doing. Rules exist to correct the behaviors and actions of those in a society. So let's talk about Deuteronomy 15. That passage that I read to you, we'll ballpark it, is about three thousand years old. Roughly 3,000 years ago, they were worried about humans turning other humans into permanent commodities and creating a perpetual economic underclass. That's the reason this passage exists. It doesn't say that we should give money away freely forever. It doesn't say we should just hand it over all the time to the needy in our midst. It says we should loan it to them. 
But it reminds us that every seven years, we should forgive those debts. You heard the word remit, and I apologize for how this passage reads. It's a much longer passage than what I read to you, but I thought if I read the whole passage, you would either fall asleep or simply get up and leave because it reads very much like corporate law. But they use that word remit. Did you hear it in there? You will remit the debts. And the literal translation of that is just let it drop. Every seven years, if you have a neighbor that owes you money and hasn't paid it fully back, what do you do? Just let it drop. And if six months from the seven years, they come and say, hey, could I borrow money? And you feel like you're being played. Deuteronomy tells us, don't worry about it. Don't get wound up. Just loan them the money. It goes on and on. It talks about other things. One of the things it talks about is indentured servitude. In those days, when people couldn't pay their debts, when they were economically devastated, they would sell themselves or their children into slavery. And every seven years, the debts placed upon those people were to be remitted. Let them drop. Let them go. Let them leave your service and live as they choose. 3,000 years ago, the writers of Deuteronomy were worried about the ways we view each other as economic assets. And this string, this string is carried all the way through Scripture. Conjure up in your mind for a moment the Lord's Prayer. We're going to say it here in about 10 minutes. Conjure it up in your mind, the Lord's Prayer. Start running through it and stop when you get to the part which directly correlates to this passage. Run through it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. <laughs> I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Or think about a less familiar passage. Think about the book of Acts. When the Christian community is in its very infancy and Luke set out to write down the nature of that community and he says they held all things in common and there was no need among them. There will be, however, no one in need among you, Deuteronomy 15 tells us. The thread runs all the way through Scripture. This reminder to us that our economics are very dangerous to our relationships and to how we view other human beings. And so where does that leave us? How are we supposed to handle this? This is about the church, after all, right? In this series about what the church is supposed to be? In fact, it is. So where does that leave us today? Well, I'm going to tell you a story, and we'll see if that helps move us along. So I was reading an article some years ago, and in it, a British man was quoted. Now, if you're familiar with Christianity in Great Britain, or Europe, you'll know that it's not exactly a thriving enterprise these days. Most churches have closed down. They've been turned into museums or restaurants or bed and breakfasts or homes, or they just sit empty and vacant. Around 90% of Europeans stay home 
every Sunday morning, uh, declining really to go anywhere. The church in Europe is mostly a fringe thing these days. And so the man who was quoted in this article was one of those who stayed home every Sunday and one of those who had really no interest in the church, but he said this, he said, I didn't think about it. When we lost the church, we lost the only other place besides the library where we weren't first and foremost a commodity. It's us in the library, people. Think about what's at stake. We can't leave it to the library. They already have too much to worry about. We've got to do our parts. Part of the mission of the church, part of the purpose of our fellowship together is to remember that every other person, before they are a wallet, before they are their job, before they are the sum total of their marketable skills, before they are their debt or their bank account or their 401k, before any of those things, they are first and foremost a human being who is a beloved child of God. It's our job to remind the world around us of this fact and it's been our job for a very long time because we humans have a nasty inclination to reduce other people to simple commodities what can they do for us the generations behind mine millennials and then the gen z generation behind them will be the most marketed to generations in human history. From the moments they are born, brands are seeking to build loyalty in them. The most marketed to generations in human history. And so it's no wonder that they become cynical and skeptical and don't believe what they are told about themselves. It's no wonder that they assume that almost everyone they meet has an ulterior motive. They've been dealing with ulterior motives since the moment they emerged from the womb. Who can speak to them, if not us, and tell them, tell them that we see them differently? We understand them differently. We want nothing from them. We don't want their money. We don't want them to simply come in and sit silently in our pews and perpetuate our traditions. We want to know them because the God we worship knows them. And we understand that their very existence in this world, like every other human being within it, has great value in and of itself. We have that obligation as the church. We have that obligation, first and foremost, to each other. To always see one another, first and foremost, as people, humans, children of God. People with hopes and dreams, fears and anxieties, desires, beliefs, experiences, history, knowledge. All of these things that all of us bring together when we gather here in worship, which enriches each and every one of us, this is why we're valuable to each other. This is why we mean something to each other. Your lives enrich mine because of who you are, not because of what you can give me. And then, 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 
Understanding that here, we remind them out there. Then we remind them out there. No human is the sum total of their debts. No one is only valued because they have marketable skills. People are not tables or customers or giving units or reams of data. People are children of God, created by God. Every person drawing breath right now in this world has inherent value regardless of what they contribute to the global economy. This is how we testify to righteousness in our society. We're that voice. We're that voice that reminds the world what a person is. You are deeply, deeply known. Your comings in and your goings out, your rising up and your lying down, your dreams, your fears, your hopes, your joys, your loves, your angers, you are deeply known by God. And it's not because God needs your money. It is because that knowledge is the manifestation of God's love for you. We have an obligation to let the world know what a human being is. Amen. As we offer our prayers today, I would like to rise, bring up uh, two uh, offerings for our prayer. First, uh, the flowers in the sanctuary today are from our brother John Ford's service, which was here on Friday. And I know you'll want to remember Barbara uh, and his children in your prayers this week. And also today is Doris's father's birthday. If you remember, Armand De La Rosa, he turns 89 today, now lives in Pueblo, Mexico. Also, a little birdie has shared it's Betty Reagan's birthday, too. So we remember with joy uh, the community in which we are set. So let's offer our prayers together. Let us pray. Lord God, you do promise us that you know us completely. The number of hairs on our head every moment of our lives, even those parts of us that we do not share with anyone. You know us. And so it is overwhelming to realize that along with that knowledge, you love us. Deeply, completely, eternally. We pray this day that you would give us as a church the hearts 
to take in that deep love, embrace it as our own so that we can also then share it. That we can be a voice in this world sharing that you love your children. Out of that love, we offer our prayers this day. We give thanks for birthdays and for the gift of life. We give thanks for those that we have loved and who now rest with you. We pray this day for all who do grieve, who are separated. We pray for places in this world that we do not know well and that have people we will never meet. Specifically this day, we pray for our brothers and sisters in India. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel and our brothers and sisters in Palestine. You sent your son Jesus as the Prince of Peace, Lord God. And so we do pray for peace, healing, abundant life. We offer to you now as one people, as one family of faith, particular people and situations in our prayers. We offer them both in silence and aloud. Lord, hear our prayer. Great God, we give you thanks for the gifts you have showered upon us in our lives, for the many blessings, the refuge you are to us, the fortress and the strength. We give you thanks for your walk with us, and we pray that you would lead us out from this place, renewed, nourished, and revitalized by the work of your Spirit. It is in your holy name that we offer this prayer, and we pray as your Son has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In our time of offering of music, it is our prayer that this offering will be to God's glory. If you would like to give an offering, we have a basket at the front that you can give at the end of the service.
us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the gifts you have given us, and we pray that we would use the gifts of our lives, that they would multiply by your hand, and that we would share them with the world you have created. It is in your name that we offer this prayer and together say, Amen. Thank you. 